Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Luke chapter 9. I want to preach about discipleship, and I want to preach about things that we need to do if we're going to enter into ministry and do what God's called us to do. This is a pioneer rally. There are things that people need to do if they're going to become pioneers, if they're going to do something for God. We are all called to be learners, of course. We know that. But there are things we need to put in place in our life. There are things that we need to begin to develop before we get in the field. You know, part of the process of discipleship, Pastor Mitchell taught me years ago, is that he wants to fix the problems we have now so they don't become problems in the field. wants to work with things in our lives now to help us to be better later and see God move. I remember a statement he made to me one morning at breakfast. He said said to me, he says, you know what, Cox? He says, "Uh, right now, he says, I'm making Wayman Mitchells. He's looking at me. I said, okay. He says, later on, you're going to have to make Rich Coxes, so you better learn now. Very interesting, because that's part of discipleship. And so what he was telling me nicely is that uh, you need to die. You need to put self and self-interest to death, learn to come into this thing, and learn to take things in, in a proper perspective, in a way you can put them to use later to make impact in the kingdom of God. And then at that time, you'll be able to remember to grow, and then you can impart that into other men's lives. We need to understand certain issues tonight. There's several areas I want to talk about. We'll get into those in a moment. We'll read the text first, Luke 9, very familiar portion of Scripture, verses 23 through 26. He said to them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For why does a man advantage if he gains the whole world and lose himself? or be cast away. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. First thing I want to talk about is death to self-interest because too many men are coming into the kingdom, as Pastor Lamb was mentioning. They're looking for an easy job. They're looking for a position. They're looking for a platform to work from where they feel they're going to have authority, where they're going to get some sort of personal advantage and use that to elevate themselves in ministry, to push themselves up the ladder, to drive themselves forward. And this is nothing new. We understand that. But the issue is, what do you do? Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to be involved in a ministry? Because ministry is not about personal advantage. Ministry is about serving people. It is about putting your agenda aside. It is about serving the needs of others, serving them so they can begin to grow and you can facilitate their life and now their life can become fruitful and in turn facilitate other lives. So that's the process of discipleship. In Mark 9, 33, 
And it says he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves along the way? And they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve and said to them, if any man desires to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. So here's an issue that we have a real hard time with in our generation. Most everybody here wants some sort of ministry. You're here because you want to be involved. You want to do something for God. But the problem is that many of you do not want to have to do what it takes to get there. You don't want to have to do what it takes to get there. There are things that have to be done. You're not going to get a personal advantage. Because if you think that's what you're going to do, as soon as you get that advantage, you will kill everything that God's doing in your life. See, we want people to serve us. That's human nature. You know, it's nice when I, it's wonderful when I get to come home after prayer in the morning. You know, I sit down, I begin to work, and uh, things start happening. It's wonderful when my wife comes in, and, uh, you know, I don't have to ask her anything. When she comes in, there's a big glass of water there, you know, and she brings some nice snackies, you know, and puts them down and does some things, and, you know, before she goes out and does her thing, hey, anything you need before I leave. That's I love that. It's wonderful. But my wife also likes it when I vacuum the carpet. I do. I've, you know, I'm pretty good at it, actually. I was... Because there's something about serving someone else that makes a difference in how they respond to you. My wife doesn't have to do that. My wife can walk up and say, catch ya, running. She doesn't do that. If my wife's going to be out for lunch, she, there's a sandwich waiting for me in the refrigerator. I have a great wife. I love my wife. But see, the marriage, as, as, as well as in discipleship, is not for personal advantage. Unfortunately, too many people enter into it that way today. Discipleship is the same thing. We enter in for personal advantage. We want to gain something. But servanthood is submission to the will of God and putting yourself in a lower place to serve others. That's what it's all about. That's the difficulty we face today is finding people who really will be servants. I have a quote here. The gentleman has some great insight. He said, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. It's not going to take anything from you. You're not going to lose anything by being a servant. You're not going to lose anything by putting someone else ahead of you. If you love Jesus, if you want to do a work for God, if you love seeing souls saved, why on earth would you think that you have to have an advantage over others to push them into a position instead of coming under that and serving them and helping them find their destiny in Jesus? Because that's what this is all about. We need to put our advantage aside and do what God's called us to do. You're not going to come into this with an agenda and see God move. Tozer says, before the judgment seat of Christ, my service will not be judged by how much I have done, but by how much of me there is in it. No man gives it all until he has given all, and no man gives anything acceptable to God until he has first given himself in love and sacrifice. We are called to sacrifice the things that we think we can accomplish so that God can move. We are called to sacrifice what we want to see out of life so that God can give us a life. We need to die to live. Except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. And so we need to understand part of this is putting ourselves in a place of sacrifice. Everybody wants ministry, but no one wants to do what it takes to have ministry. No one wants to submit to headship today. That's a that's almost an evil saying. Because, you know, authority is something we don't like. I'm amazed, you know. Well, you know, uh, I need some more personal time. 
I need some quality family time. What is quality family time? You ever take trips with your folks when you were a kid? Quality family time. Here's my, here's me. We're in the car. I'm in the back seat with my brother and my two sisters. You know, we're, we're driving to Arkansas. Mama was born in Arkansas. So we're driving to Arkansas. You know, and then you're talking in the sixties in a station wagon with no air conditioning in the summer. And we couldn't afford any air. What's the air conditioning? We open the windows. That's the air conditioning. And so, you know, we want to stop every five minutes. We got to go pee. So we want to stop. And here's, de- shut up. Shut up back. I'm tired. I'm trying to drive, you know, and so he's screaming. He's, he's like this on the back of the car and he's driving with one hand trying to hit us. You know, we're, we're dodging, you know. And so he was so bad in our car, he wouldn't stop for us to go to the bathroom. He, he handed the, you know, me and my brother soda bottles. And the girls had to get in the back. He gave them a bucket. It was a tough trip. It was even worse for the guy behind us when they threw the bucket out the window. We see his windshield wipers coming on, man. So it has nothing to do with this sermon, really, but I just thought I'd, you know, light me up this morning. But, you know, there, you know your, your personal agenda has to be put on hold. We have to serve people. We have to get to a place where we're going to let God help us. Because people that are ambitious have problems. You know, ambition is a good thing when it's done God's way. But as Pastor Lamb said, it's not competition. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not competition, okay? We're not competitive in this, but we need to be people that are building someone else, doing something to help someone else, facilitating someone else. Personal ambition can be very dangerous. Pastor Mitchell uh, told me several times, says, beware of ambitious men because they subvert the will of God and make themselves sit on their own heart on the throne. And that's what happens with us. We're, we're, we're taking our personal ambitions and trying to link them in the kingdom of God. Some of us have a time schedule. Yeah, let's see. I've uh, been in the church three years, and so now I'm going to disciple for two, and then I'll have this ministry, and then I'm going to... And then, you know, and, and, and then I'll be elevated, and then pastor will have to because, you know, I'm number one in line to go here. And so, that, is that right? Oh, we have some. I, I can feel you. I had a guy come up to me one time and, and, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm just launched a guy out and he comes up to me and he's, he's all, he's not happy. I can tell he's not happy. And this is one of the, the guys, you know, you look at him, you don't want to get him upset. He's a big boy. He'd been in prison for murder. <laughs> and so he's coming up. He's not happy. I can tell by the look, you know, that look in his eyes, like this is not going to be a good scene. So he comes up, you know, and he's, how come you got one step, man? I've been here longer. I said, yep. And so? I said, and so you're not going. And what's your next question? I, you know, I don't know what else to tell you. He said, but I thought because I had been here. I said, exactly. That's the problem. I said, you're, you're working a job here, my friend. This isn't a job. This is a calling. I said, I'll facilitate your calling, but I'm not going to facilitate your ambition. I can't because you'll kill everything that walks in the door. Your ambition, what you think you need to do, must be put aside. Must be put in a place where you're willing to serve other people and their interests, their needs, their desires in the kingdom of God to do something for Jesus. 
Because when you get to a place where God does move and the calling of God is evident and things are there and you're put in ministry, now it's not your job to sit there and be a control freak who's going to just order everybody's lives around and say, you you can't talk to them and you better do this and blah, 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 blah. Well, that's not what we're there for. We're there to try to facilitate them into finding the will of God for their life, what God has called them to. Not what you think they ought to do, but what has God called them to? How is God moving in their life? What is the evidence in their life that God is doing something? And what area is it in? And you get behind that and facilitate that. You know, too many of us get this mindset, man, this is a good guy, good couple. Man, you know, I know they can preach. And we're, we're pushing them, trying to push them out the door. And God never called them to preach. They're just going to look good going out the door. The problem is they'll be back in very quickly. We have to facilitate what God wants. Many men in the Bible had personal agendas, caused them great distress. Samson. Samson had a personal agenda to pick up every hooker that lived in his area. That was his agenda. He had a problem with women and lust. And he made it something that drove his life rather than doing the will of God. Obviously called, God wanted to use him, but yet disqualified himself. Absalom had an agenda of rebellion. He was jealous of dad. Jealous of the father. One at that place, one at that position that only God could give. Subverted that, came into rebellion, tried to have his father removed so he could run the show. Sound familiar? He had personal ambitions. Ahab and Jezebel. Now there was a woman with some ambitions. And they tried to push that ambition onto everybody else. And the list goes on and on and on. You talk about Korah. Talk about all these others that wanted to rise up to a place that was not theirs because they had ambition. And they were not looking to facilitate the kingdom of God. They were looking to facilitate what they thought God owed them. And this is part of the welfare mentality of our generation where we owe you something. Unless you work hard in life, you'll have nothing. Unless you press in and allow God to build you, you have nothing. So we need to take our agenda and put it to death and keep it from rising up and taking us from what God has called us to, which is to serve the needs of others. Because only in serving others can you really find your calling in God. Only by serving the needs of others can you hope to build a church. Can you hope to be successful? You know, you can be a terrible preacher. You can be. You can be someone even with a very abrasive personality. Unlike myself, of course. You can be, <laughs> Tony's laughing. You can be someone, you can be someone who may not even have it all together. You know, you're kind of, you know, you know, they look at your desk and they wonder, you know, where the desk is. You can do all those things, but you know, if you'll serve the needs of others, you can build a great church. If you'll be someone who will love people and serve them, and be there to give them advice and a timely word of encouragement and bless them. Yes, there are times when you have to rebuke. Yes, there are times when you have to say, no, you can't do that. But that's not all the time, and that's not every issue. And when you feel threatened, you can't just want to pull out the sword. Jing! Lop off their head. But if you'll serve them, you can do something substantial. But your agenda has to be put on hold. What you feel God wants to do for you needs to wait sometimes. 
How you feel you should be elevated in ministry needs to wait. Ooh. Because can I tell you something? Heart to heart, you just ain't all that. It's just how it is. We're just who we are. I'm just a knucklehead from New Jersey. Pastor Mitchell didn't see some sort of potential in my insanity. I'd be doing nothing except I'd be a a professional snoop for the rest of my life. That's all I would have done. But see, he, he facilitated what God was doing in me. He didn't expect me to be at his level. He saw the level I was at and said, I can work at that level and God can move to bring him to that level. And trust me, looking at me when I first got saved, there wasn't very many levels in there. (laughs) I had one level, me. I was the level. I was me. It was all about me. But see, he saw that, but he said, I can work with that. I can do something with that. And there are men in your congregation, as Pastor Mitchell spoke about so wonderfully last night, that you can be able to tap into if you'll see where they are and work with them at their level. They're not at your level. They're not at your level. They're not going to be at your level. It's an impossibility. The Bible, what does the Bible say? It says when a student is fully taught, he'll be like his teacher. He's not going to be above him. He's not going to be on the same level. Oh, I'm, you know, me and Pastor Mitchell are just like that, buddy. That, that's him right there. We're on the same page. No, incorrect. Incorrect. Uh, he's already at page 300, and, and, and uh, you know, most of us are at about page 3. And we have to work. He works with us at that level. We have to receive on that level. Our ambition, our agenda, doesn't matter. What is God doing? How is God working in that life? That's the important factor. This is one of the ways God can use you. Even if you're in a disciple in a church, your job as a disciple is not to let your pastor do everything so that you can be facilitated because you have an agenda, but it's to facilitate the ministry. See, when you have an ambition and an agenda, you don't facilitate ministry. Korah didn't facilitate ministry. He had an agenda to undermine Moses and have him removed so he could be elevated. Follow-up. Very important. One-on-one evangelism. Very important. Prayer is very important. Disciplining your life. Putting your thoughts and and needs aside to facilitate what God is doing in your congregation will make great impact in planet Earth. So your your self interest has to die. Second thing you got to die that has to die is materialism. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays. And Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three. Premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four. Our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp. 
where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to World Evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. I was driving in. Brother Hector graciously picked me up at the airport. Thank God. I'd have been lost. It's been years since I've been in Chandler. And so I came and, you know, he's bringing me through and I'm looking around and I'm like, uh, where are we? He goes, oh, it's Chandler. I said, no way. This is not Chandler. No, Chandler is cotton fields and dirt, man. This is not Chandler. Chandler is two-lane roads that aren't quite wide enough for two cars. You know, that's, that was, that's what I remember. And I'm seeing this wonderful sprawl of business and influx and all that God is doing. Tremendous. Tremendous what God is doing. And you see the wealth and the finance, and that can get on you. That can get on you. You might as well say amen or say oh me because you're it. Amen. Too many today want to pursue a lifestyle that facilitates finance rather than being willing to allow that to be put on hold because God will bless later so the gospel can be furthered. Some men will not put their career aside for the gospel. Some men become a pastor because they like to be called pastor and they have a hobby for many years. But their real thrust is they're working a job that pays big money, and by golly, they're not leaving it. They never feel called to go anywhere because their job's there. Pastor Mitchell comes up, you know, could come up to them and say, hey, brother, you know, I have this opportunity for you in another nation. And they'll find a million reasons why they can't go because they're getting paid big money where they're at. And they pursue materialism. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's impossible. Because it's going to eat you up. One of them is going to win. One of them is going to get that foothold that wins, and the other one's going to suffer for it. Now, I'm not into the poverty mindset. I like nice things. I have nice things. I work hard. I save my money. I don't buy nothing on plastic. Amen. That's another sermon. But you know what? God doesn't want us to fall into this trap of prosperity. I have a quote here. It says, God chose the poor and the few to do his work because the rich and the many are too preoccupied and refuse to do it. We become preoccupied with making money and trying to live a good life. And uh, ladies, uh, unfortunately, many times you're the driving force behind that. I know I'm not going to win any friends, but but the issue is, is that too many women want the comforts of a home rather than struggling in an apartment when they first pioneer. But I have to have a house in the yard. Why? Because you feel nesty and you want to have a nest. I mean, you know, sometimes you got to let that go. I know people that lived in Roach Central. In fact, had so many cockroaches, gave them names. <laughs> I remember my poor wife went into Redlands. I said, "You go find the." Apartment for us, babe. I'm, you know, I got, I got to get with Pastor. And Pat, took from Pastor, the church from Pastor Day, good work there, and began to get with him over some things. And she went out looked for an apartment, and she found an apartment, all right. God must have led her there because this is the worst place in town. 
We moved in. She's all excited until the cockroaches started running on the walls at night. She had never seen one before in her life. She's scared to death. What is that? It's a bug. So, honey, it's a roach. Go to bed. You know, I'm not sleeping in this house. You know, it's a... So I had to get up. The dutiful husband had to get up with the squirt bottle. Ah, uh, they're all dead now, honey. You know, they're all dead. There's six million in the wall, but they're all dead. So the next morning we got up, put the kids out in the front, you know, uh, grass area there in front of the apartment. The things are going well until we heard the gunfire. My wife, my wife. I go walking out onto the front porch, you know, the kids had just come upstairs, they're in the house, you know, this guy's running, with guys laying out of his truck, guys right, boom, boom, you know, firing right through the apartments where we're living. I'm going, hey, you don't do that, get out of here. The guy's like, oh, he's run, he drives off, you know. <laughs> A couple weeks later, you know, we hear the sound of gunfire again, two apartments over. Here's someone groaning in the front yard. Guy's got his hands on his stomach, blood squirting everywhere. He's falling over. And the, you know, my wife had it rough. I looked outside and said, yeah, they'll pick him up in a bit. You know, it's going to be all right. <laughs> They're still shooting. I wasn't going to go down there. I'll wait till the round stop, go see if he's alive, you know, and then we'll pray for him then, you know. But you see, she understood a dynamic of sacrificing for God. She didn't have to have a nice house then. I know people that have, you know, uh, there's brothers here, you, you know, uh, some of them lived in their church for a while. Sometimes you got to sacrifice, you got to do things. You, you know, uh, your pursuit of finance is not going to hold you when Jesus comes back. Oh, Jesus, you know, I, you know, I got to, I got a fine ride and nice house. Check out the ropa. Come on. That's not going to impress him. What's going to impress him is, did you do what I asked you to do? Did you put some things aside so I can work in a day in your life? See, our time and energy must be given over to God, the things of God, and what God has for us, not for what we want to get. Abram, when he was called Abram, left all behind him. Remember, he left Ur of the Chaldees, left his family. God said, go, and I'm going to show you a city and... And I'm going to take you to a place you know not of. I'm going to show you when you get there. And God lays this out. He willingly does this. And time goes on. And in Genesis 12, Abram is in a place. There's famine in the land. So he runs to Egypt. Gets down to Egypt. You know the story. Begins to lie about his wife. Say, you're my sister. You know, so things happen. So, you know, uh, Pharaoh wants Sarah. He says, hey, your sister, huh? I'll take care of you, bro. Hooks him up. Gives him all sorts of goodies. Genesis 12, 16 says, And he entreated Abram well for Sarah's sake, and he had sheep and oxen and male and female donkeys and men servants and maid servants and camels. He gave him all he could have to be wealthy. Hooked him up, blessed him in his mind. He's being blessed. But the problem is, is that by his not refusing that and, and speaking truth, he lost some of his thrust. Pharaoh began to be in a place where he was mocking him when all this came down. He gave occasion for the enemy of God to mock God. Being successful is great. 
But having a revival is better. Having revival is better. Because all the cars and the homes and the nice clothing and all the nice things you buy can't compare to somebody's soul. Can't compare to that life that changes. You know, ministry is worth it because you see people change. Because you see one life that will change and shift and go on to do something for God. Money can't do that because money, you know, money's money. It spends. The more you make, the more you spend. You just change lifestyles. Nothing, nothing really changes. But people pursue that and they want that. Chasing wealth taints you. It changes you. It changes the way you view things, the way you think. I'll touch a nerve now. How come you can't drink regular coffee? Can I ask you a question? I, this is, I don't get this. I don't do coffee. I just don't do it. I don't like it. It tastes like garbage. I can't hang with it, so I don't do it. But never have. You know, I, I drank coffee the first year I was on the police department in New Jersey. It made my stomach a sour mess. And I said, I'm not drinking this junk. But how come you got to have a $5 mucho, macho, whatever they call them, caramel, uh, foam, froth, whipped cream, you know, you know. I just like coffee because I like the flavor. Well, how come you're going to put all the junk in it then? Just drink it black. I'm just asking. I, you know, but I mean, this is some, it's a symbol today to go to Starbucks. We've got to be part of that. And if you drink Starbucks, God bless you. I'm not mad at you, but, but I, I just, you know, we're, can you feel, you, know, you see there's a drawing of, this is a drawing. This, this is drawing people. The internet thing is drawing people. It's like we've got to be connected to be part of what's happening. We've got to have this. We've got to have all the new gadgets on the cell phones. You know, yeah, tell them. <laughs> Preach it. Come up here. Where's the microphone? Give me. And so we have to have all the new things that are, that are involved in that, and, and we're pursuing this because we think somehow it gives us status. See, Samson made a major error in judgment because he thought that this was going to give him some sort of uh, uh, position, and he had these women, and, you know, he was strong and handsome, no doubt. Uh, you know, I mean, one time he goes in with, you know, with a lady of the evening, and uh, they come, and uh, they're coming to get him. He's in a walled city, and it's got bars. And so he goes out. He's just going to show him what's up. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's uh, up, you know, young, up-and-coming uh, professional. So he goes out and just tears the gates off, carries him up to the hill just to show him what he could do. See, he wasn't doing the will of God. Because he was pursuing things, he wanted pleasures. And if you want pleasures, you've got to have finances. We like our leisure time, don't we? See, but the leisure time for Samson cost him his eyes. Judges 16.21, the Philistines took him and put his eyes out, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with fetters of brass, and he had to grind in the prison, because that's exactly what happens when you give yourself to the pursuit of wealth and finance rather than the calling of God when you're in ministry. You're grinding in the prison house, folks, because you know what? You're never going to have enough. Because every new gadget you buy, you're going to have to have two more to go with it. Did you ever notice that on computers? As soon as you buy it, it's a dinosaur. Did you ever notice that? There's a reason for that. And you're going to be grinding, working, hour upon hour upon hour upon hour to meet the needs to keep my family comfortable. Which is a great reasoning. I mean, I want my family comfortable. But sometimes it's not happening. Sometimes you got to do without. Sometimes there's, there, you know, you have to pursue other things. God will take care of all that. It'll come. 
We like our leisure time. That's the mindset. You know, everybody in America wants to go to the four-day work week. Pastors want a three-day work week. I'm amazed. Can I vent a little? I'm amazed. Guys talk to me all the time. Hey, Rich, you know, I was out doing this, and I was out doing that, and I was out doing this, and I'm out doing that. I'm thinking, dear God, where do you get the time for that? I'm still slamming my head into the wall to get an idea. Notice it's getting flatter. Did you notice that? I'm trying to get something going. I'm trying to read anything. Give me a thought, God. I, you know, my mind's, you know, not a lot left in there. You know, it's like, God, give me something. And I'm getting all these, oh, we're out there. You want to go here? You want to go there? It's like, man, I, I got, I got to write sermon. I got to do something here. You know, you call for Brother Mitchell. When he's in town, he's at his house working. It's really that simple. I don't have to chase him around. I call him. It's like ordering a pizza. He picks up the phone. Hello? <laughs> he's there. He's working. When I have to call Pastor Lamb, I call his house. Hello, Rich. He's got that caller ID, you know. Hello. <laughs> They're there. But you see, if the people in your congregation can't get a hold of you at a critical time, they won't be there. You're off doing whatever you're doing. And they're trying to get a hold of you, and their life is in shambles. And to you, it's not a major thing. But you know what? To them, it's an emergency for right now. It's got to be dealt with right now. They don't have till tomorrow. They can't survive till tomorrow. But we want leisure time. We want more leisure, less labor. But you see, God says, if you give me just a bit more work, the rest will come. I'll give you seasons of rest. He'll do that. But are you where you're supposed to be, or are you pursuing other agendas? Are you in leisure? The last thing I want to touch on quickly that we need to put to death sometimes is relationships. If you're going to do work for God, sometimes you have to choose your friends wisely. Because who you hang around with is who you are and who you become. I don't, you can tell me that you're strong. You can tell me how wonderful you are. You've been in this in years and you have the dynamics down and you know, you've got this together and you're solid and you're on fire and I, it's wonderful. Thank God for that. But you know what? When you begin, uh, begin to stick around and hang around people that are not, your fire gets put out. Your fire wanes. Your fire is diminished. And over time it goes out if you're not careful. Abram learned a valuable lesson in Egypt about choosing friends. And he figured out that Pharaoh wasn't such a good friend because he took his wife. And he figured out that he had made a mistake, and now that all that came down, now he's mocking him. Basically, get out of here, buddy. We don't even want you around here. No, there was no real friendship there. There's what I can get out of it. So later on in Abram's life, he goes out to battle. You, under, you know the story defeats all the kings, and comes back from battle, has lots of wealth and substance with him. And the king of Sodom comes up, no doubt mincing delicately. Hi, Abram. <laughs> so he comes up and says, you know what, why don't you keep all that stuff, which was his right anyway, and just give me the people. Just give me the people. So that's what the devil tells you when you want to pursue wealth. Keep all that stuff. Just give me the people. But Abraham says something. He says in Genesis 14, 22 and 23, he learned a lesson. He says to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread 
even a shoelace, and that I will not take anything that is yours, uh, lest you say, I've made Abraham rich. So I'm learning how to choose my friends here. See, but Lot wasn't so wise. He went down to Sodom. At the end of his life, in Genesis 19.30, says, Lot went up to Zoar and dwelt in the mountains and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave with his two daughters, ends his life in incest and ruin. Because he pursued things he shouldn't. He found friends that he didn't need to have, and there were problems. 1 Corinthians 15.33, remember, evil companions, corrupt good morals. It happens. Adam Clark says, there's no difficulty in this saying. He who frequents the company of bad or corrupt men will soon be as they are. He may be sound in the faith and have the life and power of godliness, and at first frequents their company for the sake of conversation or insights. He may think his faith proof against their infidelity, but he'll soon find that by their speeches his faith is weakened, and when once he gets under their the empire of doubt, unbelief prevails, and bad company will corrupt his morals, and the two dry logs will soon burn up the green one. I have a Latin proverb here. It says, if you'll always live with those who are lame, you yourself will learn how to limp. Pastor Mitchell says, if you lie down with the dogs, you get up with the fleas. Texas Bix Bender says, don't squat with your spurs on. <laughs> Things happen. You can't expe expect to spend an inordinate amount of time with people and not pick up their attitudes and their habits. It's going to happen. I don't care if they're a good brother if they've been faithful, if they begin to get a negative attitude, that's going to come on you. If they're doing things that are wrong, it's going to be put in you, and pretty soon it'll bleed out in your own ministry if you're not careful. Yes, they're good people. Yes, we've known them for years. Yes, we need to help them. I'm, I'm not saying any, that that's wrong. That's what we need to do. We need to pray for them. We need to encourage them. We need to help them to come to a place. But if they're really your friend, why would you watch them drown in these things and just listen and take it in rather than confront and saying, you know what, I love you, but... Here's the problem. And if they say, no, 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 you're messed. Okay, fine. Then you back off and you let God deal with it and let God move. You need to learn how to choose friends. Sometimes you've got to cut them off. Paul says in Philippians 3, 18 and 19, for many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. He says, they are going to go their way and do what they want to do. He says, and they walked with me. We had fellowship. They were ministers of the gospel. We were together. We did things. But I tell you now, weeping, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. We hate that, don't we? I just recently had a pastor, uh, pastor's wife call me and say, you know, pastor, I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to cut off friends. <clears throat> I said, that's true. I said, but why is it so hard to cut off enemies? Huh? I said, they don't believe what you believe. They don't want to do what you want to do. They're enemies of what we do. They're great folks. Praise God, let them go do what they want. It's okay. Just go. But do you have to link with that? Because sooner or later, this is why you're being pulled down, sis. Because you're linked too close to that. Back off a little bit. Get clear in your mind. Pray through this. See what God will do. I said, be polite. Be nice but you can't have them over for dinner three times a week and not be affected. 
It's going to happen. I just want to love everybody. Well, that's wonderful. But love Jesus. Love what you've given yourself to. Love what you've made a commitment to for your life. Because that's more important in the long term. And I don't have very many close friends. I don't trust very many men on planet Earth. That's just part of, unfortunately, the background I came out of. But there are some men I trust. And they're my friends. And they're the ones I talk to. They're the ones I get advice from. They're the ones that encourage me. They're the ones I can discuss anything with and they'll give insight into my life. But others that are on the negative trend, yes, I try to encourage them, I try to help them, but I also keep a distance because I understand if I get too close, that's going to be on me and pretty soon I'll be defending the very thing that I was fighting about with them a week ago. These are just some of the thoughts I had. If you want to do something for God, you're going to have to put self-interest to death. You're going to have to put the materialistic mindsets that almost all of us here have to death. Sometimes some relationships have to go as well. They may be great people. They may be sensitive and caring. That's fine. The problem is the other underlying issue is going to override all that in the long term. We need God's help, church. If we're going to win people, you've got to serve them. You've got to love them. You've got to help them. You've got to be there for them. Your leisure time needs to be flushed a little bit. There's nothing wrong with rest and, and you know, recreation and things. There's nothing wrong with that, but can't do that all the time on a regular basis. Schedule, you know, you have your calendar already scheduled for your off time. It's going to burn you in the long run. It's going to burn you in the long run. Because when the time you're gone is the time you're going to call and you're not going to be there for them. Your friends, it's good to have friends. A lot of folks are my friends. But close friends are a rare event. Choose them wisely and you'll survive. That's all I have. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.